today on Ag News Daily. So we still have some connections there to bring hay up here, which if there isn't much here, it's very mountainous. Tana Winterhoff and Delaney Howe joined together today on an Ag News Daily edition Wednesday, December 28th. It seems a little off to me, Delaney, whenever I have a bank holiday closed on Mondays, because then Wednesday doesn't feel like Wednesday. But thanks again, listeners, for jumping on and listening to us today. We'll get you some nice big headlines. Delaney, right? Yeah, we're not going to be doing any best of stories like all the other outlets seem to do this time of year. <laughs> yeah, we did have that discussion. It's uh, it's tough to find news this time of year as a lot of people take time off between the holidays, which to spend time with your family is definitely respectable, but uh, sometimes you just got to power through. That's right. So that's what we're going to do today, Tanner. Even though we don't have a ton of headlines, we are going to do our best to bring news to the people, starting with the story yesterday I should have reported on. Briefly touched on it, but we did officially see on Friday Congress clear the $1.7 trillion funding package that would provide significant increases to a lot of different areas, including national security and domestic spending in billions of dollars to Ukraine, which we did touch on, but we didn't touch on the fact that the bill had actually passed last minute, which is the last major legislative accomplishment that this current Congress will take, or will make, I should say, before the newest Congress steps into office come January. But as far as this particular bill is concerned, Tanner, again, $1.7 trillion. This is the largest funding we've ever seen Congress pass. And it includes basically 12 separate bills that cover everything from natural disasters to military pay to foreign aid. When we look at agricultural specific highlights, we see a couple of big things here that come to light, one of which is insurance. It directs the USDA to index all administrative and operating expenses in the crop insurance program for inflation. It adds in some additional research funding will increase by $175 million in 2023. It includes in the conservation arena, the Sustains Act, which allows corporations and other private entities to contribute funding for conservation programs and authorizes USDA to match those donations made by private entities. It also reauthorizes the Pesticide Registration Improvement Act, which imposes fees for maintenance and registration of all active ingredients being used. It includes about $1.48 billion of infrastructure for specifically the Army Corps of Engineers to help with, Tanner, the low water levels on the Mississippi River and dredging. So that should be an exciting um, investment there in the infrastructure. And it also includes about $3.7 billion of farm disaster aid to cover eligible folks from 2022 with crop and livestock losses. So those are pretty much some of the biggest um, dollars that we see here earmarked for ag specifically. We've also got some dollars targeted towards rural broadband improvement, food stamp programs, and last but not least, Tanner, the Growing Climate Solutions Act, which authorizes USDA to oversee the registration of farm technical advisors and carbon credit verification services. So that'll be an interesting one to see how that's rolled out in 2023. Yeah, that's definitely a lot of positive things for the ag sector. 
especially getting access to significant amounts of funding. <clears throat> Our border got support yesterday out of a Supreme Court ruling on Tuesday. Title 22 is still in place and has been extended into the new year. The next hearing for the Trump era policy on immigration will be uh, held towards the end of February. To remind our listeners, Title 42 is the uh, ability for immigration officials to quickly expel migrants for public health reasons due to the coronavirus pandemic. So it looked like social media yesterday was catching wind of this and definitely sharing their opinion. But Supreme Court did rule yesterday to extend Title 42 into February for a hearing to be scheduled then. The Department of Homeland Security the assistant there for public affairs, Marsha Espinosa, stated that their department will continue to enforce this policy, said, I quote, as required by today's Supreme Court order, the public health will remain in effect in, for individuals who attempt to enter the United States unlawfully and will continue to be expelled to Mexico or their home country. People should not listen to the lies of smugglers who are taking advantage of these vulnerable migrants putting lives at risk. Our border is not open unless you want to go through normal immigration passages following our immigration laws. So quite a interesting ruling here between the holidays that I don't think we were expecting to see as this was expended last week uh, by President Biden, extended, not expended, extended last week by President Biden. Now the Supreme Court has ruled to at least push this out to a hearing later in February. We should see probably a decision made in February, Tanner. That's correct. Yep. Okay. There's not another final step it has to take after that. Well, it could be obviously extended another time, but no, it is is meant to be uh, heard and tried in February. Okay. Well, Tanner, as we look out to February, weather is also going to be something to continue to watch as we saw the really cold conditions last week. You know, as a side note, I was reading an article yesterday. I know this doesn't have necessarily anything to do with ag, but it's insane the number of flights that have been canceled and this whole debacle going on with Southwest Airlines. Well, regardless of what's going on there in that industry, uh, weather meteorologist Brett Waltz from BAMEX says that the December cold we saw here in the second half of December is likely going to continue into January as we're seeing high pressure above the high latitude areas that will allow colder than normal temperatures to persist across the northern and eastern U.S. for much of January. And he said this looks to be a pattern that is a bit less favorable for snow in the plains, but will remain an active winter storm in areas across the east. He said in February, he's expecting the southeastern U.S. to warm up to normal temperatures. And as we look into February for the eastern third of the country, he said that they should also start to get a little bit warmed up there, but probably not going to get too warmed up here in the Midwest and Northern Plains Tanner. So it sounds like this is going to be a little bit of a cold winter to expect, but might be a good time for us to have a weather update here on the Ag News Daily Podcast soon. Yeah, I don't believe it. We'll have to go check the Farmer's Almanac to see if it's close. Okay, you check it out and tell us. <laughs> <if you> find. <laughs> oh, I can certainly do that. Well, let's hit China in the news here before the end of the year. We couldn't go without mentioning them. The U.S. Defend defense spending bill led China to now take more drills and aims at Taiwan. Taiwan's defense ministry said yesterday that China sent 71 warplanes and seven naval vessels 
on strike drills in their air defense zone on Monday. China obviously condemns the American spending bill that included military assistance for Taiwan, accusing both countries of escalating their collusion and provocation. Tensions are continuing to remain high ever since Nancy Pelosi's trip uh, over there. Meanwhile, Taiwan is continuing to extend their mandatory military service in response to these growing fears. They are looking to boost their spending for military up again from the four months. Currently, this would move Taiwan's military power to about military manpower to about 40 percent. So we will keep an eye on that. But China also made a move yesterday to stop publicly reporting their COVID-19 results. Chinese officials are estimating about 18 percent of their population is infected and Beijing is looking to dismantle restrictions that had contained these residents. The estimates, including about 37 million people or 2.6 of their population were infected just on yesterday alone. This is being revealed by Sun Yang, the deputy director for the Chinese Center of Disease Control and Prevention. This was leaked information, Delaney, because coming from Beijing, they were stating there that uh, the numbers were much lower to only 62,592. So we're talking a difference of millions and stated that there were no reported COVID-19 deaths for the day of Tuesday. Uh, it is quite interesting to see here. Most Chinese cities could not recover that fast from the first wave of the latest of Chinese, uh, the COVID-19 outbreak in China. However, the Chinese government are saying our people have recovered faster than expected. So uh, another very difficult source of information coming out of the Chinese government definitely looks like they may be hiding the implications that COVID-19 is having currently on their residents, which obviously is going to push to some economic downturn as well. Yeah, and that really is kind of what markets have been watching here as of lately, Tanner, is just to see what's going to go on there, specifically when it comes to China reopening their economy, will we see manufacturing and goods uh, start to pick back up, or will we see things turn back the other direction and um, start to close down again? I hadn't seen that they've decided not to release COVID numbers anymore, so that's certainly interesting. But another thing, of course, the markets are watching is what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And we have seen official word now that ship insurers said they are going to cancel war risk cover across Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus following an exit from the region by reinsurers in the face of a steep loss. They said reinsurers who insure the insurers, sorry, this is a mouthful, typically renew their 12 month contract with their insurance clients in January giving them the opportunity to scale back exposure since the Ukrainian war started. And after being hit this year with losses related to that conflict and shipping conflicts from Hurricane Ian in Florida, they said that they are definitely going to be pulling back on that, Tanner. So it's basically the people that insure the insurers, which is something I wouldn't have thought about before. Yeah, that is, like you said, a mouthful, but definitely can follow the track there as well. Well, I've hit, you know, we discussed right away in the beginning, the best of articles. And I actually discovered one of those coming from DTN staff reporter, Todd Neely said his favorite story for 2022 was cattle theft charges 
in Texas. So we reported on this. Judge Skeet Lee Jones of seven, uh, then 71 years old, was arrested alongside with the Loving County Sheriff Deputy Leroy Bedlin for cattle rustling in Texas. But what we got news of yesterday, Delaney, is that a Colorado rancher, Steve McKendy, is now down 80 cows, 80 bred cows that were stolen from his ranch in Baca County, Colorado. Their 18,000 acre ranch, just 30 miles northwest of Springfield in the southeastern corner of the state had cattle valued over $100,000 stolen there. He told local media KRDO out of Colorado Springs that the cattle were taken had to have been in two semi loads, although tracks are hard to be discovered due to the high winds and winter weather that we had had. He posted on Facebook is how KRDO came about the story to begin with, that it's pretty apparent that someone took the advantage of my location and having corrals next to the road for an easy payday. He says he's not looking for sympathy, but wants everybody to be aware that this is happening in the cattle community. He continues to tell in his report that they had his cattle trained. He had his cattle trained to follow a pickup with cake on it, which for those Listeners is a protein, kind of like candy to cattle. He said the rustlers must have put an extensive amount of planning in this to where they could have gotten the cattle up to the corrals, had trucks on site. It would have taken at least two semis to haul them off and was probably done by a multi-man operation. So it'll be interesting there as Colorado Springs police and local sheriff's departments, as well as the Colorado Cattle Association are investigating this now says that all these cattle were branded. So he would assume that they did not end up in somebody else's cow herd, that they would have gone to slaughter and it would have been an illegal slaughtering operation because of the brands. The Baca County Sheriff's Office was not available for comment at the time of this article, Delaney. But now the Cattle Operation Livestock Thief Program is offering a $2,500 reward for information related to this rancher's case. So yes, uh, DTN's editor, favorite story of the year, cattle rustling in Texas. And now he's got a new one to report on coming out of Colorado. Yeah, that's certainly a bizarre chain of stories, Tanner, to say the least. Yes, it is. That's the news that I've got for today. You got anything left before we hit markets? I think just one final update here as we look at fertilizer prices and trends here for 2023. Of course, the cold weather didn't do anything to help the fertilizer market over the last week, but it does appear, according to Josh Linville Tanner, that fertilizer markets have been relatively quiet and he feels like it's the calm before the storm is at least how he's phrasing it this time of year. He said that he sees potentially as farmers had quite a little bit more jingle in their pocket in 2022 than maybe what we originally thought that they would have, farmers are going to be wanting to spend money to lower tax obligations between now and the end of the year. And he's saying, of course, the easiest way to do this is to prepay on inputs. And so he's thinking that perhaps, Tanner, we see here in the fertilizer market in particular, that of those folks, of those retailers that have, you know, some of their fertilizer purchased for the year, we could see some of those inventories being purchased by farmers in return. And we could see uh, maybe shorter inventories come later this winter slash early spring as other farmers who did not prepay try to get in there and uh, make those purchases. So it'll be interesting to see how the 
year rolls out here as far as supply and demand goes, but he's saying not quite yet to the point of seeing shortages come this spring, but that certainly will put a demand run for fertilizer on and could, could certainly push fertilizer prices higher, but also make fertilizer availability harder for those who did not prepay come uh, later this year, next year, I should say at this point. Right. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see how that story plays out. The markets took quite a bounce yesterday. It looks like corn reacted to a big sale to Taiwan. But how did everything else shape up? Yeah, well, certainly in the overnight, uh, we've seen some mixed trade here as we head into the opening session. March corn down just a penny in the overnight at 673 is where it'll open on the board here. December new crop corn will open at 606, down again a penny in the overnight. March soybeans are trading right at that $15 mark to open right at $15 and a half a cent. New crop soybeans still quite a bit of premium built into old crop as new crop soybeans are trading right at $14.07 here at the open. Hard red winter wheat and the March contract will open up two and a half pennies at $8.81 and three quarters. And yesterday, of course, in the livestock markets, a quick refresher on where we ended February live cattle will be 12 and a half cents higher to open at 157.87. March feeder cattle down $1.35 on the day yesterday to open at about 85.40 today. And February lean hawks will open today at 91.47 and a half. Tanner, without further ado, it's fitting we just chatted cattle prices and weather. Now we're going to chat with Stephanie Sample, who runs Deep Canyon Ranch in Washington. Well, folks, we certainly know we've seen a lot of inclement weather, especially as we look to our neighbors to the West. We're chatting today about weather, ranching and more with Stephanie Sample of Deep Canyon Ranch located out there in Washington. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. Certainly excited to pick your brain. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. I'm I'm excited to tell you about what we're doing out here. Yeah, so let's dig right into it. Deep Canyon Ranch, you're located just outside of Seattle, Washington. Is that correct? Well, we're probably actually about five hours northeast of Seattle. We're in north central Washington. Uh, The closest major city is Wenatchee or Spokane. We're kind of ways out there. Yeah, it totally sounds like it. How long have you guys had the ranch? We've actually only owned this property for just over a year. Um, we closed on it in June of 21. Um, we were farming in Ellensburg, Washington, which is about three hours south of here. For as long as my husband and I were together, so about 10 years, and he was at that same farm for approximately 20, 25 years. Um, we just ended up, things didn't work out there, but we, but we ended up building a lot and moved it all up here where we found an opportunity to buy something of our own. That's really exciting. So Deep Canyon Ranch, tell us a little bit more about what you guys are doing day to day. I assume you're raising cattle, but tell us more about the ranch. Yeah, we're doing cow-calf. We're finishing out some steers on our own and marketing those privately. Um, Raising our own hay, selling some of it, retailing hay that we're... So we still have connections down in Ellensburg, which is a major Timothy Hay area of the state. Uh, They do a lot of exporting to China and the Mideast. So we still have some connections there to bring hay up here, which there isn't much here. It's very mountainous 
in around Omac and Okanagan County. So there's not much for hay growing and Timothy doesn't really do well with the climate up here. And you know, the people that have horses really want the Timothy. So we've been doing a lot of reselling of that and trying to kind of, you know, re get our, uh, our farm going. You know, it was owned by an elderly couple whose you know kids didn't want to keep going. So it's kind of backslid a little bit. That's got, you know, the bones are here, but we're doing a lot of restarting on stuff, a lot of revamping on the hay fields and the fencing and the corral. That was our big project last summer was completely redoing the corral. So there pretty much was no corral. <laughs> the last year. So we've spent a lot of time this year reporting on drought conditions throughout the entire United States. How did you guys fare during the summer months of rainfall? And uh, what has this extra snow that we've gotten helped for setting you guys up next year? You know, last fall, we actually had quite a bit of rain, fall of 21. Our cows were still out grazing up in the hills until almost Christmas. They're still green. And then we just didn't get any rain until right when we wanted to start cutting. <laughs> and then it poured for a month. We were a month behind cutting our orchard grass. Um, so it's been back and forth here. And once that rain quit in the middle of July, right around the 4th of July, it got dry and it got hot. And it was probably, August was close to 100 almost every day. And we're lucky that we have water rights here. We have an irrigation well. We have creek rights. But I know a lot of our neighbors up in the range, it was dry. And they're having to keep pushing cows back out. They wanted to come down. And uh, then the fall turned back around again, though, and the cows wanted to stay up. And then they got four feet of snow up in the mountains just all at once within 24 hours. And they couldn't get in there to get the cows out. So it's been an interesting weather year here. Yeah, it certainly sounds that way. But as you look at uh, 2023, I know we are expecting to see more of an El Nino weather pattern. So hopefully a little bit wetter conditions for the new year. How has grazing been? I know obviously we're not grazing now with winter time, but what was grazing like this year and what do you expect it to be like for 2023? You know, it got, it got tough when the weather got that hot, everything wanted to go dormant. We didn't have to supplement. I know a lot of guys in Oklahoma and stuff were having to start feeding in September, October. Um, we were lucky that we didn't have to do that. We ended up weaning early this year, hoping with all the moisture that we have, as long as it doesn't flash off suddenly and flood, that we should have plenty of moisture to get us through. We're a little bit more dependent on rain in this area than places like Ellensburg, where they have a lot of snow melt that focus or that that they use for irrigation. At least as far east as we are in Okanagan County, we're not as close to the Cascades, so we don't have the water coming to us like they do down south, in Yakima County and Kittitas County. So, so it'll be back and forth. It just, it'll depend on what the rain does. Good. So it's interesting how we got connected as you and your husband are looking to build your ranch. You've kind of been telling the story of the process uh, as how that goes. What's your desire? Where did that initiate from to share? how your process has been going you know just the mainly the lack of consumer awareness and just trying to get our story out there we're both from the west coast which 
is generally lacking in a lot of knowledge about agriculture. So, you know, on Facebook, we've got a lot of friends that are from the coast that have no experience with agriculture. So it was just a good opportunity to share the story um, and be able to connect in a way. I listen to like Amanda Radke and all of the other women that are advocating. And, you know, one big thing that they push is, you know, don't go out to educate, just just share your story. Um, so that's just what I'm trying to do is just share what we're doing and not necessarily try to educate in a in an education sense, more as just sharing what we're doing and why we're doing it. And if people want to read it, then they can they can read it and look into it and ask questions. But trying to go into it with the attitude that I'm not telling you something, I'm, I'm explaining it. I'm explaining why we're doing what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we have to do it. Lately on the Deep Canyon Ranch Facebook page, you guys have obviously been sharing a lot of posts about all of the snow and cold weather that's swept across a lot of the nation. But how are you dealing with or how do you deal with particularly cold you know, weather patterns like polar vortexes and make sure that cattle have what they need during those really hard times? Yeah, we've been plowing a lot of snow. Um, it was really cold. It's been really cold up until the last couple of days. It's been above freezing. I don't know if we've seen that for <laughs> over a month. Um, last week it was minus 15 and then the wind chill. I know Midwest is getting that too, but it's not necessarily normal for this part of the country to have that kind of negative temperatures with that wind chill. But our cows are just, they're out. It's our property, but it's kind of more range-like. So there's a lot of trees. There's a lot of big rock outcroppings that they can get into to shelter. So we just try to make sure that that's open up to them. Um, they have a creek that they can get to for water and it's spring fed. So it stays thawed out. We're not having to go out and break ice for the cow herd. We're just making sure they've got plenty of protein. We put protein tubs out there for them, feed them extra hay when it gets super cold. And, uh, you know, the bulls, we, we do sell some registered Angus bulls. So we're keeping them from our herd and raising them up from calves. And we just keep them in the corral. We make sure that they're bedded well so they don't have frostbite issues and make sure that their water is kept open. We actually bought some of those little freeze misers that you stick on the hose and it just keeps dripping depending on what the temperature is. There's some gel in it that however it's designed, it, it can tell how cold it is and it just keeps your hose bib running. So we've got that set up in the corral and we haven't had to chop ice in there because of that little tool. So that's kind of a handy thing to have during this kind of weather. Absolutely. So as you and your husband are looking forward to 2023, what are you most excited about? Um, probably, well, I'm excited for calving, hoping that the weather goes a little bit better than it is right now, because we would have all, everything in the house warming up if it would kept this way. Um, we kept a lot more heifers than we normally do, so we're excited to get those bred. And we've been getting more into the genomic testing on our commercial heifers. So that's kind of, it's interesting to look at the data on those and see where we need to improve. It gives you more data to work on. I'm more, definitely more the data focused part of the team and Ryan's more the outside working, getting the outside stuff done. Um, I go outside and help too, but he's definitely a lot better at it. I'm better at keeping warm when it's cold. <laughs> We've got some hay fields that we have been neglected and just turned back into pasture. So we're trying to get some of those revamped and back into alfalfa, update some of the irrigation. 
um, it's all pretty worn. A lot of it's from 70s, 80s. So it's it's time to be replacing a lot of it to just make it more efficient and easier on us. We have a four-year-old as well. So that's kind of challenging to work with all of the old equipment that takes a little bit more to keep it limping along. So we're just trying to streamline the farm quite a bit and see what kind of projects we can do to streamline that. Sounds like you guys certainly have a lot on your plate as you uh, have a ranch and kiddo and all that stuff to manage this winter. But Stephanie, before we let you go, uh, obviously we touched on your Facebook page a little bit. If any of our listeners would like to follow along with your ranching journey, where can they find you? Our main page is on Facebook. It's Deep Canyon Ranch WA, WA for short, um, short for Washington. That's our main outlet. It's connected to my Instagram. I haven't quite figured that out yet. Neither of us are really all that tech savvy, so <laughs> we're getting there. I do have a TikTok, but again, it's Facebook is what I'm used to, so that's what I've been using the most. Names are all pretty much the same, either Deep Canyon Ranch WA or Deep Canyon Ranch. Awesome. Great. Well, Stephanie, we certainly appreciate you joining us once again, and we wish you guys best of luck in 2023. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's always nice, Delaney, to add some perspective to our podcast, get out of corn and soybean country and get a little cattle news in there. So it's great to connect with her and learn about their new ranching operation. Absolutely. It certainly is, Tanner. But we've got a couple of good conversations coming up later this week, folks. So do stay tuned for those. Tanner, what do you say? In the meantime, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.